0: Hello, Internet. My name is Walter C.A.D. Fedchuk and welcome back to Final Cut, the movie podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Uh, By now, we are sometime into January. I'm a little confused about timings with everything just because the last uh, few episodes that we did, we sort of batch recorded before the holidays just in case we got stuck uh, in an airport someplace or we just were too full of our prime rib like I was following Christmas. Uh, But we are back kind of on a more regular recording schedule now that the holidays are over and we are kind of into a, uh, a lull. Uh, as life sort of goes over winter. Um, And that also kind of leads to movies, because there has been, you know, a lot of movies that came out right at the end of 2021 that we are really interested in. Uh, But as we enter 2022, there's kind of a lull of good movies in January and February. So we're going back to what we had initially wanted to be the first episode of our return. Uh, And of course, when I say we, I am talking about my wonderful co-hosts, the enigmatic Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. Chase, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. I don't know that I've ever been called enigmatic before. I'm a pretty open book historically, but I will take it. Uh, I'd like to add a little bit of mystery, I suppose, to my background here. Um, I am excited to talk about uh, this movie with you. I I do think, uh, unfortunately, the world has conspired against us both to... Uh, make us lose all sense of time and space uh, and also to make it such that going to the movie theater nowadays, not necessarily a thing I want to opt into uh, in a city as uh, densely populated as Los Angeles. So I'm very glad that we have uh, a movie here that I only saw a couple weeks ago, uh, but that I had a lot of fun with. And I'm uh, very curious to see if you landed on the same place that I did. You know...
0: The one thing that sort of confuses me about how we run these episodes is we intro the episode talking about, like, oh, it's a mystery what movie we're talking about. <laughs> and if anyone's looked at the title of the podcast in Spotify or Acast or iTunes or wherever you get your uh, podcast nowadays, it literally says Suicide Squad. Yeah. So I guess... It could have been. It could be the first one, or it could be the second one. It's the second one that that came out uh, back in uh, August of uh, 2021, uh, also
1: known as the good one. I mean, was the first one that bad? Yes, the first one is awful. There is a wonderful for people who have not uh, who have seen the first one, haven't seen the first one. Either way, there is a YouTube channel called Folding Ideas that does a video on the art of editing. He's got a background in film editing uh, and he—it it is a masterclass in how truly terrible the editing in the first Suicide Squad is, whether it's from shot to shot or scene to scene. The whole thing is a nightmare, largely due to all of the reshoots and re-edits and just a production mess. But it is... Uh, yeah, the first one's terrible. Uh, the second one's great. I had a great time with uh, this one.
0: Yeah, I would say I I, I would—I probably like the first one a little bit more than other people do. I, I kind of like parts of it. Uh, but yes, ultimately, uh, Suicide Squad uh, 2021 is better than the first one that they released. And it's sort of a continuation of the Margot Robbie Harley Quinn story. Um, but Chase, I—yes, I did not watch this two weeks ago like you did. I watched this back in August. I watched this with a group of friends— uh, on our normal Sunday D&D night, one of the players uh, was unable to show up, and we still hung out. We watched a couple of movies, uh, and I'd say all in all, it was a good time. Um, but yeah, let's just start. Brass tags, right at the beginning. What was kind of your, your ex- expectations going into it? Did it meet up with it? And ultimately, just kind of a synopsis, what did you think of
1: it? So it's one of those things where when I look at the DC Extended Universe, it's been such a hit-and-miss prospect right? Like I enjoyed Wonder Woman. I enjoyed Aquaman. I really enjoyed Shazam and Birds of Prey, uh, two films that I don't think get talked about nearly as much as they deserve to. Um, but Man of Steel, I absolutely despised. Uh, Batman versus Superman, I thought was near unwatchable at points. Um, the first Suicide Squad, I made my opinion on that clear. The first Justice League jar of piss is all I have to say about that. Um, There's been a lot of mess. Wonder Woman 1984, a film I'm very glad I didn't see, according to every single thing I've heard about Wonder Woman 1984. So when it came to the universe, there are pros and cons. There are reasons to be excited. There are reasons to be very concerned. But this is James Gunn. and James Gunn is responsible for the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, which are wonderful and are a blast and demonstrate to me an understanding of what makes comics and comic book movies fun. He has a good sense of an ensemble. He's not afraid to get uh, a little bit crass and crude at points, not afraid to to dip into maybe a, a, a harsher side of certain things. But of course, when you're in the Marvel Universe, right, everything's got to be PG-13. You don't have room for things to truly get dark. Uh, and this movie is rated R, which means he can turn up the blood, not quite to the levels of his old like trauma style films um but turn up the blood turn up the violence turn up the um the more mature angles here and as a result it leads to a film that the more i think about it the more i might like it even more than the guardians of the galaxy film certainly more than the second one i think the first one is very much a toss-up for me um Because the first Guardian of the Galaxy film is wonderful, but uh, James Gunn has a really good understanding of how to make group dynamics work, how to make us care about, you know, so many different characters all kind of bounding around together while keeping the plot easy enough to understand. It takes a, a, a certain amount of craft and a certain appreciation for the medium to make that kind of thing work, and I'm very glad that it does yeah i would i
0: think that bringing out and focusing on sort of the blood and and guts and gore that you don't get in uh mcu movies is actually a really good point and does allow gun a lot more room to work with than you know the guardians of the galaxy movies um i will say when i first saw the movie you know the movie kind of my first thoughts afterwards were like oh, so this is what would happen if you gave Quentin Tarantino a comic book and said you have to make a movie that is this colorful, this kind of silly, all that jazz. Because in reality, if Quentin Tarantino ever made a comic book hero movie, we're probably looking like something like uh, the the Watchmen movie. Really dark, really gritty, really bloody. Um, and yeah, but Gunn is able to... The thing that worried me was that this was going to be like... Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, except its DC characters. And the fact that he was allowed so much breathing room, was allowed the R rating, definitely gave us more room to do more with what he had. Um, I think that just sort of the visceralness of the the opening scene, the visceralness of ultimately the villain and, and Stario was... It was gruesome to watch at points and really kind of hammered home, like, okay, how do you make bad guys into good guys? Well, you have to make the bad guys that the bad guys are fighting that much more bad. And if you just are, they're just ruthless monsters, then like, oh, hey, that's easy to do. It's humanity versus a a race, you know, an alien that's just here to devour everyone. Um, But that's where I want to start now that we actually get into the meat of the movie. That opening scene was a masterstroke of storytelling and really set the tone for what came after. When, when the second team showed up and you realize that the Team A, their, their objective was to die, what, what were your thoughts, Chase?
1: <laughs> it's just such a clever subversion of expectations, right? Because it's not as if the first crew that comes out doesn't have star power, right? You've got Nathan Fillion involved. You've got Sean Gunn, who's obviously, uh, you know, playing uh, the weasel, which is just a very silly character. But, you know, not all of them are going to make it out. So you can kind of easily justify that. Um, You've got uh, Rick Flagg, who was from the first film. So certainly seems like this is a crew that we can get invested in and care about. I think Boomerang... Uh, Captain Boomerang was in the first one as well, if I'm remembering correctly. You are correct. So we were all ready for this to be like, okay, we're going to have Team A and Team B. And obviously you'd seen a poster. I knew that Team B was probably going to be a little bit more accentuated than Team A. But two teams makes a whole bunch of sense for something like this. And then the first scene in the film happens. And uh, the starving of the beach is just... It's perfect. It's exactly what you want for this kind of story because it sets a clear tone that nobody is safe. All of these characters are expendable, almost as if they're in—I don't know—some sort of suicide squad, right? Um, and it does it in a way that's fun. You know, you get to see all of the characters do their thing, and you get to see the, the relationship between them and um, their uh, leader. I'm I'm trying to remember. Her. Oh, uh, Amanda Waller, of course, um, yes. who very much does not care about them. And the second one of them tries to run in the other direction for self-preservation, hits that button dead as a doornail. And and you get to see, um, you know, the reaction of the office and the the bets that people are placing and the um, the wins that uh, you know and losses and and the kind of like you know being mad at somebody for for dying as quickly as they did. Like those. You you learn everything you need to know about the program and about the destiny seemingly of the kind of people that participate in it, which is you know when you you first see that it's right well like okay how am I supposed to care about a group of characters when anyone can die at any time, and then the film happens and you're like oh I do care about all these characters that could die at any time like it's just really a smart way to set the stage, set expectations, and subvert expectations all at the same time. And I honestly, it was just really damn clever.
0: Yeah, I the fact that you are able to kill off Nathan Fillion and Pete Davidson, who were two of the the big, like hyped actors uh, at the beginning of the film, you know, within the first 15 minutes. Uh, personally, when they killed Captain Boomerang, I almost shut the movie off because I just love the character kind of uh, broad scope. I love the idea of the character and I really was hoping that without, you know, Will Smith, without some of these other characters and really just kind of focusing on you have Rick Flagg, you have Harley Quinn, and then you have uh, Captain Boomerang as part of that original sort of set. Like, cool, that's a good core to build it around. And then you kill Boomerang You kill Pete Davidson, you kill Nathan Fillion, you have Harley Quinn captured and Rick Flagg, you know, fleeing into the jungle on his own. And then you pan over to the actual, the the good squad, like the squad. Because, of course, Amanda Waller has a plan for everything and contingencies and wasn't just going to let Harley Quinn and Rick Flagg get away with what they did in the first movie and Birds of Prey and, what you know, The DC universe kind of at large so it's fantastic that you were able to bait us in get us all invested into these characters and then just be like cool they're all gone now we're going to focus on this and focus on the larger plot of the movie kind of going forward uh casting in this entire movie is brilliant I think the roles uh that they picked uh, the the actors that they pick for the roles make a lot of sense. I like the idea of switching from Will Smith to, to Idris Alba as sort of like Persons. the main character. Uh, just an excellent choice, I think, because they're a very similar type of actor, but I feel like Idris Alba, you know, as we talked about in um, The Harder They Fall, just brings a little bit more of a, like, action presence to a movie uh, than Will Smith does nowadays. I I will admit I had a hard time... Sort of believing some of the action uh, that he had as Deathstroke uh, in the the first Suicide Squad movie, just because that's not who Will Smith kind of is as an actor anymore. Like if this was ten years ago, where we're in the middle of him doing I Robot and I Am Legend and Hancock, then maybe it's a little bit more believable. But just nowadays, I I see his face and. The you know the movies with the sun with the sort of uh, I know Disney uh, Disney Plus right now they have sort of a uh, like a documentary series about Earth that he's covering like he's just like a friendly face nowadays uh, where there's really nothing friendly about Idris Elba you see him and you go yeah that's a badass dude he could probably you know fuck some people up um, and then John Cena as the foil is. When I first found out that John Cena, the wrestler, was going to be in a DC movie, <laughs> I I was kind of shocked, because I understand he wants to be a Hollywood actor nowadays, he's following kind of The Rock's path, um, but I was just always worried, like, okay, what kind of version of... John Cena are you going to get? Because as a wrestler, he is very, very one note and joking and making, you know, uh, quips about his opponents. And then like, they're like, hey, what if we just double down on that? And instead of you going up to 11 to be a professional wrestler, how about you go up to 12 to be a psychotic, you know, antihero? And it, yeah. it was masterful.
1: Apparently, uh, James Gunn told him to act like a douchey, bro Captain America, which is just mwah, perfect. That's exactly what we want for a character like Peacemaker. Somebody who's really good at what they do and can be focused on the mission in a way that keeps the plot moving forward, but also has enough of that, like, he's so ruthless and so um, capable of relating to the gray areas that are natural in people, right? Like, there, there's such a, a strong sense of there's my way, which is peace, and there is everybody else, and I will kill anybody that threatens my view of peace, that for a movie like Suicide Squad, like I, you could totally see why that character uh, would be a villain that would be in this role, but you can also totally see why that is the character that Waller taps to take on this special additional job to keep this stuff a secret because he will do whatever it takes as long as you convince him that it is for his definition of peace. So you get someone that is both a villain and seemingly has the skill set of like a hero type, but also has that kind of anti-hero angle and how he views himself that just It all works, and and it works because John Cena is a very charismatic individual. Almost like he got to the place that he did at the WWE for a reason. He's really good on a mic. Um, He understands um, how to kind of uh, play on that. And I, I think in this case, again, there's enough of a subversion of what you would expect from John Cena. That even though the character is the kind of person who would totally betray the party at any time, you still don't necessarily see it coming when he straight up kills somebody on his team to try to get this this uh, this plan uh, working the way he wants. Um, it's just really really well done. The casting across the board in this film, I think, is is great. And and I want to just give. Uh, some credit as well to uh, Daniela Melchior as the rat catcher, um, who does such a brilliant job throughout this film. Um, One of the more heartfelt performances in this film. And kind of ends up serving as the emotional core in a way that I did not expect coming from the the rat catcher of all characters. Like, I don't know how many people listening to this are, are huge comics people in addition to movie people, but the rat catcher is not the character that I assumed was going to be the one that I genuinely, uh, fell in love with the way that I did in this film. Um, but it's just such a brilliant way of bringing that character to life and and tying in rats in the way that society views them as disposable and as, as inherently bad in the way that all the characters in the Suicide Squad are viewed. It just, it works. And, um, you know, some of the acting performances there definitely deserve credit for uh, bringing that to the forefront.
0: A- absolutely. And James Gunn has been kind of on record as saying that Ratcatcher is sort of the, the emotional heart of this movie writ large. And let's go ahead and actually, I, I do want to talk about her sort of subplot because I'm currently reading uh, John Moxley's autobiography called Mox. Um, and he he talks very you know very very early on about his father and about how kind of rough his uh, his upbringing was, how hard his dad was a worker. And he tells a story about how um, you know his father comes you know picks him up from from jail after he's you know gets arrested for some reason he doesn't even really know off the top of his head. And his dad tells him in the car on the way back you know no matter what you do don't forget we're the good guys. And he sort of talks about the dichotomy of that being like, you know, I do dr- I I do drugs, I get into fights on the street, like all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm one of the good guys. And it kind of feels like Ratcatcher is sort of like that in this movie. That they're a villain, they're a thief. It it, it almost feels um sort of Catwoman esque where. I'm a thief and I'd prefer not to get into a fight. That sort of seems to be her, her modus operandi. But you know, if she has to, she'll, she's as ruthless as any villain has to be. But if you put everyone in this movie onto like a scale of like, you know, good to bad, she, she is probably about as far to the left on, on the good side of things as any character outside of maybe Maybe Rick Flag, um, maybe Idris Elba as um, as Bloodsport, but the rest of them are all very chaotic, evil. Like the only reason that we're doing what we're doing here is because there's a bomb in my neck that some crazy broad that's part of a secret, you know, government agency is going to press if I don't do what she says. Um, what what did you think about sort of the the father-daughter relationship that they sort of pushed with Rat Catchers over the course of the movie.
1: Well, first of all, I think Taika Waititi should be cast in more things. I think it's a blast that he came in to to play the dad role. And there's just, there's something really beautifully tragic in that story, which, of course, you get to see in the mirror of the bus as she's kind of Going into her backstory, which is just from a film perspective, really clever. There are a lot of really clever shots in this film in which, you know, they end up putting, uh, whether it's text for a chapter or whether it's a a flashback like that, making it work in the universe of the film. Um, But, you know, the idea of someone who, you know, good hearted in general, falls on bad times. And to that extent, uh, ends up falling into drug problems. And in order to fuel drug problems, well, you start stealing. If you start stealing, you're going to get yourself painted as a bad guy, right? Uh, but, ultimately, he is someone, as a father figure, who instills a sense of, of empathy for caring for those who society leaves behind. And there's something very again there's, there's a, this beautiful tragedy in that you know she grows up with a loving father she says you know compared to all the other characters who tend to not have very good relationships with their parents poor polka dot man on that regard um, <laughs> his mom is a monster uh quite literally as we see um but you know for for her it's you know i have this loving dad who cared so much about me And thanks to his heroin addiction, I didn't have a dad nearly as long as I could have. And I lived on the streets. I was a homeless person. And that so many things there made her life harder. And there's that kind of angle, right? Of like, she had to live a harder path than almost any of the other members of uh, the Suicide Squad as far as their pure origins go. Not to say that there aren't people in the Suicide Squad that have tragic backstories, but it certainly isn't fixated on the way that hers is in this film. Um, but it, it, it leaves her with a strong sense of empathy beyond that, And it leads to this idea that, sure, they may be members of the Suicide Squad, they may be seen as disposable, but so are the rats that her dad taught her to love, right? So are all of the people that she would have you know kind of been living on the streets with and to me it's really really powerful the way that that narrative ties in at the end of the film when we get the final flashback to her dad over the city and talking about how the city belongs to the forgotten and and then the rats start swirling up and take down starro in a way that just thematically is perfect it's it's Well-planned, well-executed, and furthers both the narrative and thematic nature of the film in a way that um, I I would argue is the strongest part of this film, Um, which is, again, not an insult to other members of the team, but, like, man, it's hard not to love the rat catcher.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. The sort of heart-wrenching backstory attached to her, and... Uh, yeah, she's just very much like I don't really want to kill anyone. I kind of just like I'd rather do what I'm here to do, uh, you know, and and steal things because ultimately that's what they're trying to do. Uh unlike and I would say if if John Cena as uh, as peacemaker is sort of the uh foil to uh, Idris Elba's Bloodsport, who I would say is is you know, one of the, is probably the primary male lead uh Ratcatcher is the prim- is the foil to the primary female lead Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn and uh I agree with you I think Birds of Prey is a much better movie than uh, a lot of people give credit for I think that that is unfortunately Birds of Prey fell kind of victim to this sort of modern pre pre-debut movie bombing um that they have to deal with and that they ju- that you know there's a segment of the population that knows Harley Quinn is just a the sexed up crazy girlfriend of Joker and that's all I want her to be. I don't want any nuance or anything extraneous in this character. And if they took you know ten seconds to look and go read a comic book, they would find that that Harley Quinn is a very deep, nuanced, traumatized character throughout the comic book's history. Um, and I think Margot Robbie has done a Wonderful job portraying Harley Quinn over over the course of her appearances in the two Suicide Squad movies and, and Birds of Prey. And again, we talk about the subversion at the beginning. We really don't get Harley Quinn as part of the Suicide Squad until uh, the last third of the movie, may, maybe halfway point. And she has her own fun little subplot where <laughs> she falls in love with a man. She falls in love with the dictator of the island they're on and and just decides she doesn't want to be in the Suicide Squad anymore and all she wants is someone to replace her dear Puddin. And then she blows his brains out because, oh, he's evil and, oh, I've already been with a a guy like you. You aren't the nice man I thought you were.
1: Again, it's so good. Um, Just this idea, right, of, first of all, having her character get immediately involved by like she's in the capital where everyone needs to go so that she's going to be able to take part in the final scene but that she's not there while we're still getting to know all these other characters because harley quinn is a character that kind of by design steals a lot of the scenes that she is in that's just the nature of having someone as charismatic as margot Roby in that in that cast um so having her step back to highlight those other people is really smart. Having her get taken in by the Corto Maltese government and meeting with the dictator there and having that meet-cute and the montage of the two of them growing close and, and the sex scene, of course, where they just keep breaking all of the things. Like, it's really fun and really like it's easy to get swept up in it just as Harley is getting swept up in the romance of this. And as soon as he starts talking about his plans for, you know, kind of taking over the world, so to speak, uh, she demonstrates a huge amount of character growth, one of the moments that really feels like it pays off the character arc that she had in Birds of Prey, which is an understanding that she tends to be attracted to people that have that uh, megalomaniac uh, personality. And literally shoots it out of her life um and and the monologue she gives after that of you know recognizing that there's this unhealthy pattern that she keeps finding herself in and that she needs to you know do better for herself it's incredibly um it 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 really humanizes the character uh despite the fact that this is someone who is so ridiculous that she just straight up shoots the guy with this old gun after everything. Like, there are so many ways that so many other characters would handle that scene. Of course, H- Harley Quinn went to just shoot the guy. But the, you know, the Harley Quinn, maybe even of the first film, wouldn't have taken the time to be as uh, emotionally invested and see some sort of tragedy in that. That, that there is this uh, cycle that she has to break herself out of it's just, again, pretty really good script writing in general throughout all of this. Um, and I, I I do think, you know, there are some pacing things that you could point to and, and maybe the, uh, the scene in which everyone plans to break Harley out and then it turns out she's already out and we have to have that whole kind of like awkward, like anti-climax thing. If I were to point to like a weak point in the movie, that would probably be The scene that I would point to, like, just have her escape, and she meets up with him on the way, and we're good to go. Because we were already—there was so much momentum that she built, in her uh, escape out after that moment um, kind of slows down a little bit more than I needed to.
0: I'm going to disagree with you there. I think that's actually—I understand where you're coming from, as it does feel like a needless scene. However, again— the entire point of, like, Suicide Squad, the Punisher TV show, all these kinds of things is that you are taking people that are essentially villains. They're, they're evil, quotation marks, and you have to figure out ways to make them sympathetic and turn them into heroes in the audience's eyes. Now, again, like I said, you know, earlier on, it's very simple to do that. Where you just put an alien menace, and you could do the entire. Well, we're all, you know, we're all humanity. We all live on planet Earth. We're not going to just bend the knee to some alien. And like, you have the uh, the the Loki route of like, well, of course, I'm going to bend my knee to a sub alien. I'm a bad guy. Like, I'm going to go to the winning side. Or they just like. They, You have the DC Legends of Tomorrow uh, Arrowverse where they kind of begrudgingly all work together. This is a scene that allows you to build sort of that humanity into these characters because, again, let's face it. Like, they very easily could have just let been like, oh, you know, Harley, Harley's gone. Like, well, we got a mission, guys. Remember, if we veer off the mission, that little bomb in the back of my head is going to, you know, blow up because... Amanda Waller is a stone cold bitch, like, I'd forget her. And they don't. They instead come up with this convoluted strategy and convoluted way to rescue one of their own. And sure, could they have instead, like, instead of even having them enter the building, could they have been, like, shot the grappling hook up and been, like, all right, guys, you ready to go in? And, like, her push, like, come down the rope instead, and boom, that makes it a little bit quicker? Absolutely. But there's a comedy element uh that I know, uh, again, um James Gunn mentions that he sort of wanted uh Roby and Alba to be Abbott and Costello. And there is a very Abbott and Costello way that she comes around the corner, pokes him on the shoulder, and goes, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, there, there is something that is very kind of joyful in that comedy, which... I, I laughed. It's to pop a laugh. That's all it's for. It's to pop a laugh. It's to be like, hey, we were all gonna, we were gonna risk our lives to save you, knowing basically nothing about what we were coming into, and like, oh wait, we should have known you. Yeah, like of course you can take care of yourself, and you eventually were gonna get out.
1: But it was still, a cute moment. Cared about you enough. I, I do appreciate the cute moment where she's like, Oh, I could go back in if you want, like if yeah. you want to do your whole thing, like that's fine too. I can tie myself back up. Like that's endearing. I I just think there are certain times in, in this film, which is a, a two hour and 12 minute film. Th- I think it could have been a little bit tighter. Uh, I think there are some moments uh, that are clearly there. Um, you know, purely for for style, or or purely for uh, a joke that doesn't quite land as hard as as all of these other moments. And I I just I, I feel like the movie could have been just a little bit tighter. And if it had been, it would a hundred percent be the uh, my favorite of the three superhero films that James Gunn has made. Like that would have been. There there were just a couple moments where I found myself waiting for the next scene to start in a way that I don't think that I had when I was watching Guardians of the Galaxy. But I would say in this film, the things that I was looking forward to uh, were things that I think were a little bit stronger, even, than Guardians of the Galaxy. And maybe some of that is just that Idris Elba is immediately more captivating than Chris Pratt. Like, Chris Pratt's funny. I get it. Um, Controversial for a lot of reasons. Not the thing that I, I, I care to get into at this time. But Idris Elba is just such a charismatic presence whenever he's on screen. And to have this, like, real arc of him being a miserable person who has no interest in making human connections and is incapable of even trying to relate to his daughter who is clearly acting out in hopes of getting attention. Um, you know, to get from there to where he is at the end of the film, where he's fully ready to sacrifice his life in order to save people that he doesn't even know, I, I think that, uh, you know, that makes for a more captivating character than than Star-Lord, in my opinion. Um, and I, I-, I think... Elba.
0: Elba is, is, I don't mean to interrupt, but Elba is really, really good at starting out as that grumpy sort of curmudgeon that then has character growth and builds into a very likable character. Um, Much like, honestly, Benedict Cumberbatch does at times too. I think that's sort of Cumberbatch's bread and butter, um, which the only reason I bring up Cumberbatch is I don't know if you've ever seen the BBC show Luther, um, Mm -hmm. that Idris Elba plays like this grizzled detective that's solving, like, murders, and and it's it's kind of grisly, but he does that. He had, He's this very, like, closed person that gradually over the series does open up, befriends, you know, this child that was part of one of the cases, and, and so on and so forth, but that does seem to really be, like, Elba's. He's either, like, I'm just a stone-faced action person, or I have this very nuanced, I start as stone-faced action person, and then turn into a very lovable, likable character by the end.
1: Yeah it's it's really well done um i i think honestly uh it, it it says a lot uh that we've gone uh this far in without having to really touch on too many like the 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 plot here ultimately is wild in that starro exists and <laughs> it is the main thing that everyone's worried about like starro is such a wild character to pull for a film adaptation, someone that I didn't think we were ever going to see on the big screen because it's a giant starfish that takes over people's brains. It's just kind of goofy by design. And the whole, you know, Peter Capaldi as the thinker, brilliant choice. Um, He's really fun to play off of this group of crazy people. And, you know, everything that it leads to with that fight, like... It's the journey with these characters, you know? I, I, I think that sometimes some superhero films, especially in the DC universe, can get lost in the spectacle. And there's a, a in my opinion, an incorrect belief that the reason the people are there is the spectacle. Spectacle's great. I enjoy a good spectacle every now and then. The spectacle at the end of this film is awesome. But the reason I, it works is because I care about the character. And I care about the people that are engaging in that spectacle such that I care what happens to them. Uh, And I I think that this film really understands that and puts its characters first across the board. It's a really strong performance, both as, you know, the individual people we've pointed out and just as, you know, uh, an ensemble piece as a whole, Uh, very much like um, uh, The Harder They Fall. I feel like this is a cast of, of people that stand out for being impressive individually, but also a group of people that props each other up really well.
0: Yes, I would agree. And it, it is kind of crazy that it's taken so long for us to uh, to bring up uh, Peter Capaldi, just kind of another name that they threw in here. And when he came on screen, I was like, holy crap, it's Doctor Who. <laughs> 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 uh, which, I, listen, I I... Peter Capaldi is a a well-known British actor that has done a lot of stuff over there. I know him as the Twelfth Doctor. I'm sorry. Like, I I have nothing else to say about him as an actor just because that's what I know him as. So that was a really fun feeling. Um, I feel like the scene where they capture uh, the thinker is one of those scenes where I'm like, okay, you could have have pared this down a little bit if you wanted to cut down on the movie. Um, But yeah, that final fight has all the makings of a very traditional superhero, like, ultimate disaster is pending, and how does the hero overcome this just this, just incredible odds? And the way Staryo just kind of shrugs everything off is just like, eh, eh, yeah, yeah, no, you guys don't bother me, you don't bother me. And then the ultimate, like, realization is like, Teamwork and self-sacrifice because we're all gonna die anyways, is is beautiful. And it does bring us to this very kind of closing end of all of these stories get wrapped up, and the truly, I feel like, evil people are gone. The ones that this is this is their one redemption, but at the end of the day, they've committed some horrors that are just too much. Um Polka Dot Man, I I feel like is, you know. One of those, um, uh, 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 Sylvester Stallone as King Shark. There's no other redemption for King Shark. He kind of like it's kind of the end for him.
1: Um, he just served his purpose, though. I will miss him. Yes, certainly. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Wonderful character. I'm I'm sad that we will no longer have him, but fulfills his purpose. And you are left with Ratcatcher, Harley Quinn, Bloodsport as kind of the final like. This was a redemptive arc, and now we can continue to grow as, I'm not going to say heroes, but, you know, heroes essentially continue on. And that's a nice little core that they can work with if they want to bring them into Justice League in any way, shape, or form. If they want to do a third Justice League movie. Sort of how they held over Rick Flagg and Boomerang and, uh, and Harley Quinn from the first movie. Like, this just gives them stuff to build off of in any direction that they want to go. Obviously, we have the Peacemaker series that as we are recording this on January 13th, just hit HBO Max. And I don't know if you know right at the end there we want to give a quick hit or if we want to say whether we want to watch it or not, but you can always bring you know any of those characters into that show for just a quick yeah, 10 minutes here or there if you really want to, you know, we'll,
1: do something crazy. We'll say I think they could have kept Peacemaker dead. Like, obviously, like, James Gunn has fully admit that the only reason that he comes back on the post credit scene and, and has survived is because the TV show existed. Originally, that was not going to happen, and that death was going to be there, just like all the other deaths that we saw in the film was going to stick. And, you know, there's a part of me that looks at it and goes, well, Peacemaker did his part, right? Like, his arc was very much as someone who was of the group, but ultimately saw himself outside of the group and was willing to betray them in order to fulfill some larger goal that he had, one that we know is supremely flawed, and it's why it's so much fun when Amanda Waller gets knocked out right before the uh, the final fight scene when she's going to kill everybody for daring to want to save the world. Um, You know, I there's... A part of me that says that it was so well executed and, and such a, a perfect foil to this film that I was ready for him to go, the way that all these other characters... Like, that's, that's the whole Suicide Squad mentality. On the other hand, John is a lot of fun to watch. He's having a great time with the role, and I think that having a series... Uh, A TV series in particular, right, that gives you a a lot more time to allow him to develop slowly. I, I have to imagine that at the start of this, he's very much going to be another one of, you know, the Waller subordinates who is happy to execute on these things that are incredibly morally questionable. But I also have to imagine that at some point, he's going to recognize that maybe that's not a great move and that maybe his definition of peace isn't actually leading to peace. Man, I wonder if there are any allegories that we could point to, uh, especially given the Captain America conversation we brought up, comparison we brought up earlier. Hmm. See, I wonder.
0: See, I think we can blame sort of the continuation of Peacemaker. And and I'll be honest, I'm relatively, like, I'm with you. Let John Cena do more of this. Like, I'm I'm kind of excited to see what they're able to do with it. But I think we can blame DC wanting to do something like with Peacemaker long-term on the boys and Homelander from that, just because I get that's the it's Superman, but like, you know, jingoistic and wild and crazy and evil, so on and so forth. Not Captain America, but it's two sides of the same coin. It's, you know, who is the face of sort of America in comic books? In DC it is Superman and in uh in um in Marvel it is very much Captain America. It's in it, his name You know, God damn it. So I think you could probably place a little bit of the blame there. And you could probably place a little bit of the blame on the success of Deadpool. That is very much the commercials that I've seen for Peacemaker and even, you know, Peacemaker in the movie is very much a Ryan Reynolds Deadpool minus some of the fourth wall breaking. It's just like, I do what I want because I can, because that's what my character's written to do. I do what I want because I am Peacemaker. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just go, I don't really know if you can tell that sort of nuanced story of like, hey, he's going to decide at some point that maybe what he's doing is wrong because that completely destroys the point of the character. And I guess that's fine if they're only doing one season of it. But for some reason, I just doubt that because
1: Warner Brothers likes money. I guess you could go the Punisher angle, right? Where, like, he's empathetic, but never quite, you know, has that kind of tragic flaw where he can't see the unintended consequences of his actions, and when realizing it only beats him up, like... But Punisher has, has a sympathetic backstory,
0: and, and hey, maybe Peacemaker does. I know very little about the character beyond what we have, you know, seen mainly in this movie and the couple of trailers I do. Maybe they'll talk about how his mom and dad, you know, were, were drafted in some crazy war or were Red Cross members that were serving in Kosovo or something. I have no idea, but I don't, I don't get that from how the character's been portrayed in Suicide Squad and what I see in the trailers for Peacemaker. I, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think it's just going to be wild and crazy. Hey, John Cena, let's go kill a bunch of people. Okay. And again, nothing wrong with that. I love a good action TV show movie. You know, it can be junk food. Not everything has to tell the super nuanced uh, character growth driven story. Um, but like, that's my <laughs> expectation for that can show. I... I'm not going in there.
1: Can I read uh, a couple sentences about his uh, Peacemaker's fictional biography from the comics? Sure. The post-Crisis on Infinite Earths version of Peacemaker differs slightly from the pre-crisis version. He learns that uh, his peace through violence efforts were the result of a serious mental illness brought on by the shame of having a Nazi death camp commandant for a father. He believes his father's spirits can haunt him continually and criticizes every move, even as he tries to live down his past. Now, I don't know if that's the direction they're going to go with this, but I am so fucking down if that's the direction that they go with this. I am in. That sounds awesome.
0: I think invoking Nazis in the year of our Lord 2022 is a little bit of a risk when there's a particular audience that probably... Uh, wants to watch Peacemaker and maybe crosses over with neo-Nazis.
1: Yeah, but see, here's the thing. Those are the people that tried to get James Gunn fired and it didn't fucking work. So I I don't know that that's necessarily the concern. Again, it's the first episode aired tonight. We do not know where it's going to go and I am not trying to... uh, If I am factually incorrect, I'm sure the internet will tell me. The internet is very good at correcting people who are wrong. Um, But I just... I think that would be a fun angle, and it's the kind of thing that seems very James Gunn to me, right? James Gunn is not afraid to throw punches. Um, He's just typically, you know, he's best known for things in which he's working in Marvel and kind of have to hold a couple punches back if you're doing a PG-13 film, so...
0: And you know he had, and he has done the sort of "my father is a monster" type trope in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which I like a bit more than you. And I'm sure Kurt Douglas is very upset with your sort of diminished
1: thoughts of his project. Yeah, it's. I'm so in. I want. I want that to be the origin so bad. I, I'm sure there are other versions of the character too. That's the one I want. Ah,
0: <sighs> well. You know, we're talking about Peacemaker. Why don't we kind of expand things here, and, and let's talk about the DC expanding universe just a little bit. Because they have not done much recently. Uh, it's really felt like it's kind of been in a holding pattern, as I feel like a lot of studios are with uh, with what's been happening yeah. with COVID. I was going to say, did anything back.
1: happen last year that would have caused that? Anything, I mean, the I don't know,
0: Like hey, I don't know, Marvel pushed back Mobius for six months because of COVID and potential of movie theaters shutting back down, which is like, cool. I mean, now I guess I go in the summer to see Jared Leto maybe not shit all over himself. Uh, (laughs) Maybe. But yeah, it seems, you know, again, we're talking about this movie, you know, months after it came out. You know, Peacemaker's coming out right now. And at the beginning of March, we have sort of a Batman reboot with Robert Pattinson, uh, and Colin Farrell is sort of kind of the the lead actors in that movie. Um so, you know, let's kind of take a pause and what have we thought about the DC movies kind of in general? I know at the beginning you sort of gave a quick little rundown, but where where do you see them going from
1: here? Well, you know, we're we're moving a little bit past the Zack Snyder era of the DC extended universe, which I know there is a very vocal part of the fan base who is really bummed about that being the case, but as someone who is not a part of that fan base, I'm very excited to see a much wider range of, of directors and, and producers kind of, you know, writers take on some of these characters. I think ultimately uh, there is a mistake that people make when they associate mature with dark. This is a very mature film, The Suicide Squad. It is. It tackles some very difficult themes. But it is not a film I would describe as dark, right? Like, it has a, a lightness to it. It has a sense of joy. It has a sense of, you know, belief in people and characters in a way that is fun and satisfying. And you want to see these people succeed. Shazam! understood that. Shazam! is a perfect example of a film. That... That kid went through some shit, man, but he came out the other side because there's this, um, this understanding of a humanity that that it can grip back onto, and I feel like the DC projects that I've disliked are the ones that try to remove themselves from that sense of joy, from that sense of wonder, from that sense of... Uh, of empathy really man of steel is a very cold film justice league is a very cold film and it's not to say that there can't be films that really focus on those darker emotions but one probably superhero films kind of inherently silly concept right like there's a, a certain level of of disbelief that one must accept in order to be interested in the genre at all you know I you, no one watches Superman without understanding that he's an alien baby Jesus essentially right like that's a silly concept we're allowed to acknowledge that, that is a silly concept um but I, I I think that at least more recently because they're doing a better job of allowing individual directors to tailor characters and and tailor certain stories in a direction that they find most interesting. I I think we're, funnily enough, getting to a point where uh, these DC films uh, have at least an opportunity to have more heart to them than, say, Eternals fucking did, right? Like, Eternals is an example of a film made by a director that I like, Um, but a film that felt very uh, soulless at the end of the day because of the the trappings that a Marvel film kind of requires at this point. Um, I, I think that if we see more films like this, I am willing to put aside my previous concerns with the DC Extended Universe... And I'm happy to start getting excited about some of these films again because there are a lot of films in the last couple of years that have been made that have been worth getting excited about. But I think the universe is in a pretty fucked up spot because the universe has to tie back into films that ultimately did not work and did not resonate with the majority of the audiences who saw them. Whatever you think about the Justice League Uh, movie and the Zack Snyder cut in particular it's not a film that people talk about the way that they talked about Avengers right it didn't resonate with people on that level and as a result um, having to constantly go back to that having that be the core of a universe is rough. Which is why, by the way, the Batman is apparently just not giving a shit about it. They're just not part of the extended universe. It's its own thing entirely, because that was the better way to make a movie. And I I guess how much I'm going to enjoy the extended universe moving forward is going to be based on how much the movies individually are willing to let go of what didn't work To build something new that does.
0: I will say that, much like Marvel, DC movies have been at their best when they get away from the dark, gritty Christian Bale style of movie. I think the Dark Knight trilogy was as successful as it was, because it wasn't trying to be anything more than what it was. It was trying to be Batman movies. And what makes a very successful Batman movie is very different than what makes a very successful Superman movie, or Spider-Man movie, or Captain America movie, or Wonder Woman movie, or Flash movie, or you know, da 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 down the line. Every character is different. Now, are there parallels between a Superman and a Captain America that you could probably throw against a wall together and write movies that are similar but, you know, are each for those characters? Absolutely. Those two comic book companies, like, you know, stole from each other all the time and made characters that were the same all the time, just with different names and different costumes.
1: That absolutely happens.
0: I like Man of Steel more than a lot of people. I think it is a it is a it is a pretty good movie. I enjoy that movie a lot. I don't enjoy it as a Superman movie though. I look at that and I watch that movie and I go if it wasn't Superman, this is a this is a fantastic, you know, with great power comes great responsibility style growth movie. The, you know, hero's journey, the archetype hero's journey. That is a fantastic movie in that regard. But man, I hate that it's a Superman movie because Superman to me was always Christopher Reeves. It was always kind of smiley and kind of lighthearted and so on and so forth. I think that's why some of the early Batman movies in like the 90s uh, and into 2000 struggled with an older audience is because to them, Batman was always Adam West. But by the time it got to me watching, you know, uh, Christian Bale play Batman, I, we had sort of s- these kind of darker tones with Michael Keaton. Uh, I ignore that George Clooney ever played Batman because that is a horrendous movie and and honestly should be scrubbed from the record and removed from the Library of Congress if it's even in there. <laughs> so when, you know, Batman vs Superman came out, it was, we were already kind of predisposed to want to see one of these grittier, kind of darker movies, and... Even Marvel was kind of, you know, we think about those early Marvel movies until really they hit Captain America. Iron Man is a very dark palette. Um, I think, uh, you know, across the course of the movie, there's a lot of very kind of underlit scenes. You know, obviously him in the, in the caves in Afghanistan. I think his final fight is a very dark kind of coloration. Um, I think the the first Thor movie kind of matches that as well, although so much of it happens outside during the day that, I guess it doesn't feel as dark with a blue sky behind it, but then Thor, the, you know, Thor 2, The Dark World is, it's like, the dark is literally in the name. And it kind of took Guardians of the Galaxy, I mean, even even um, the first Avengers movies does have a very kind of dark kind of palette to it, again, until the final scene in New York, where now we're a team, now everything is bright and shiny and there's hope. But until we get to Guardians of the Galaxy, we really don't have sort of the other side of the coin when it comes to superhero movies of this more like light-hearted, neon-colored, bright, funny, jokes, all that jazz. And until until DC hit on Suicide Squad, which was I, I released right around the same time as Guardians of the Galaxy, they didn't have that either. And despite all the sort of darkness in that movie and very dark subplots and, and, again, the color scheme and everything, they did have the jokes. They did have Margot Robbie being the the comedic foil to that movie, and that was always the best part of that movie. And then, bam, they hit Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, I think, was fantastic uh, because it was an origin story just told very well to a, an audience that a lot of people like didn't know, really know the origin story of Wonder Woman that much because the... sort of uh tv exposure that we would have had in the 90s was through the justice league animated tv series and they didn't really take a long time to be like hey we're going to do a three part you know episodic uh you know three episodes in a row where we discuss the origins of all these characters they kind of just go like the characters exist they're all part of this team boom and then justice league happens and again it's back to this dark gritty awful blah and then aquaman comes out right after thor ragnarok and they're like hey let's just do thor ragnarok with aquaman And then let's do Shazam, but again, keep it lighthearted. And then let's do Birds of Prey, and again, keep it lighthearted and and funny and joking and bam. And then Wonder Woman 1984 came out, and it was just a terrible movie for a a ton of reasons. The Snyder Cut came out. It was a waste of time. And then boom, now we're back to The Suicide Squad. And again, they go back to that, hey, let's keep it a little lighthearted. Let's make some jokes. It's a movie. It's It's a superhero movie. This isn't life and death. We're not curing cancer here. Let's make an enjoyable experience for everyone. And just sort of going forward, uh, looking at the DC uh, movies that are coming out, obviously uh, TV-wise, we had Peacemaker that came out today, January 13th as we're recording. Uh, future movies in July, we have Black Adam, uh, which is a villain, but it's being played by, uh, by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, we then have The Flash coming in November, Aquaman coming in December, and then a Batgirl movie um, that is going to come out onto HBO Max that uh, was originally the Joss Whedon uh, project that he left and has kind of bounced around before settling on the two directors that they did uh, back back in May. Oh man, I'm worried about that one. Yeah, I am worried about how that comes out. But they have a couple movies here in a row. Black Adam. It's Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Like you're not doing just like a serious, uh, like dark, gritty, realistic movie with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. The Flash. The the plotline that they have talking about here is a very kind of dark aspect of the Flash's character. But in general, the Flash is a, is a pretty lighthearted, jokey dude, much in the same way as Spider Man. You can have dark and nuanced in Spider-Man, but still stay true to the character. And then Aquaman of the Lost Kingdom, again, Jason Momoa, it's kind of the same thing with Dwayne with the Rock Johnson. Like, you can't just do gritty, like, dark realism with him. Like, it, it's got to be a little bit lighthearted. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some good stuff coming from them. That if they remember what worked for them, and they don't sort of fall back into this trap of, hey, we're dc we're super serious all the time. They can make some good movies, some good entertaining movies going forward with characters that are still relatively well-known. That's sort of where Marvel's kind of now getting stuck is now that all of, you know, the the Chris Evans, the Robert Downey Jr.'s, now that they've sort of left, now we're starting to get into the weeds on some of the, the Eternals. I knew nothing about them prior to that movie. I still don't know a lot about them after that movie. <laughs> now, now they're <laughs> starting to you know, starting to pluck at the margins and see who can we pull in here and there and there, where DC still has a lot of weaponry when it comes to recognizable characters that they can pull out. They've got Martian Manhunter, they've got Hawk Girl, they've got um, static Shock that I know has been discussed at some point. They've got Supergirl. They can do a whole bunch of stuff with, with Robin and Nightwing and Deathstroke and all of these things that are all well-known because we all grew up in the 90s and watched you know the Justice League uh, TV show. And then you can start pulling in the Zatanas of the world and and so on and so forth. So they have a lot of depth there that they can work with. And because Marvel's so far ahead of them, they can still sort of rely on their stalwarts. That's why, as much as with the Batman coming out with Robert Pattinson, I think it's actually probably good for them that they're not folding that into the DCEU.
1: Great choice. 10 out of 10. I, Should not I, feel the need to force it if it doesn't work. That's fine. Right. No one cares. It's fine. Right. If the movie's good, that's all anyone's going to care about.
0: Exactly. Because I look at it this way. I feel that this, the Batman, they want to be dark and gray. That's that's what everything looks like with it. Is the date we want to tell the dark, gritty Batman story, because that's what worked with the Dark Knight trilogy. Guess what? Christian Bale would be a terrible Justice League Batman. Because Batman in that isn't like dark and gritty. He's just like, I'm the wealthy accountant of the group that's like, I'll keep spending money, but I'm upset about it. And, like, you have kind of this dichotomy-friendly rivalry between Superman and Batman about who's in charge of the Justice League. Like, Christian Bale's Batman would not fit into that at all. Like, I can't imagine Christian Bale, like, trading quips with the Flash. Like, that's just never going to happen. So, go ahead. Do your dark, gritty Batman thing. You know, let Robert Pattinson do what he can do. I, I don't know if it'll be good or not. Um, build up the other members of Justice League. And then you can have a reboot of Superman and you can have a reboot of Batman. Because at the end of the day, you can't have a Justice League without Superman and Batman. And the two experiences that we've had of, of Superman and Batman and sort of the Snyderverse, they don't cut it. And it's a bummer because Henry Cavill was so good. I, I thought he was a perfect choice for that casting. But again, I wish it wasn't a Superman movie. I, I wish it had I wish it had been uh Hancock. Like it could have been just a no-name super uh, no-name superhero. <laughs> that's absolutely oh, what man. you could have done instead.
1: I mean I would have much preferred Hancock to Man of Steel too. Uh I'm a lot more down on Man of Steel than you are, but I think that's another uh, uh another story for another day. I do want to just kinda to put a button on this. Um someone who's I'm forgetting right now, uh once made the point to me. That the difference between Marvel and DC is that Marvel superheroes are people trying to be heroes. And DC heroes are heroic figures trying to be people. And I think that this film in Suicide Squad and all of the films in the DC Extended Universe that I have enjoyed understand that. At the heart of DC, when it is at their best... The thing that separates DC Comics from Marvel Comics and makes their characters so engaging is that we know how powerful they are. That's never the conflict. It's about how to, given that state, humanize yourself. And I'm sure there are going to be examples that people can point to of, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's, you know, uh, There are going to be examples that people can point to uh, from both sides of them doing what I just described the other company doing. There will always be exceptions to every rule. But ultimately, the best DC films from uh, across the universe that we've seen so far, and including the Nolan films for the record, are at their best when they are trying to be people. And Idris Elba in this movie learns how to be a person. And the Suicide Squad learns how to come together for a cause bigger than themselves because they are more than the powers that they have. And that's what makes DC work on And I hope that all of the other movies we talked about that are coming down the pipeline, The Peacemaker Show, whatever other products that DC has, I hope that they understand that. Because if they do, you have a lot of good entertainment.
0: Absolutely. I absolutely agree, and and it's one of those things where, you know, Marvel and DC films will only get better as long as the other is doing well. If DC completely falls off the rails and they stop making movies, there's no reason for Marvel to push the pace or do anything crazy or outlandish or, or try, because they'd be the only game in town at that point, especially with... Uh, you know, sort of the, the reacquisition of of X-Men and, and Fantastic Four and kind of mutants as a whole, really the only thing they wouldn't have is they still sort of have this hybrid deal with Sony and Spider-Man. Um, but listen, that's, that's been a podcast. I think we talked a lot longer than I expected just because I haven't watched the movie in so long, but, um, you know, we had a good chunk of stuff to talk about and it's been a while since I think either of us have discussed a DC film. Um, Chase, where can the good
1: folks at home find you on the interwebs? Uh, You can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. You can also follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. Uh, We are not going to be making individual Twitter accounts for individual shows yet, uh, though if that's something that you're interested in, let us know. Um, I will be making individual feeds for the shows for those of you who just want Final Cut or just want... uh, to uh check out our game changers podcast that debuted uh a couple weeks ago by the time you're listening to this um but uh i've been busy so uh, that should hopefully be done by the time you're listening to this and if so all the links will be in the description for you guys to check out
0: each of those feeds he's been so busy he forgot the name of the show (laughs)
1: it's steam cleaner not game changer i just named the dropout game show that is very funny but has nothing to do with any of our it's steam cleaners my sincere apologies oh i'm supposed to be working in marketing walter i'm a marketer oh listen listen
0: It, it we just started it the first episode came out theoretically last week or two weeks ago Um, But come back next week. You'll get the next episode of that. We are actually, you know, Inside Baseball. We're about to record that episode right after this. And I
1: promise I'll know the name. I promise (laughs) we get that right. (laughs) uh,
0: But as always, you guys could follow me on Twitter at C80s underscore LOL. I kind of jinxed myself with these outros for the last few episodes because we recorded everything in batches ahead of time and didn't know which order they were going to come out with. I am 99.9% certain that next week, uh, in two weeks, not next week, next week we're talking about video games. Two weeks from now, we're re entering the Matrix. Until then, goodbye, Internet.